You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 18. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and today we're talking about the SECURE Act. Joining us today is Nick Dedeker, Certified Financial Planner with Lyle Parham Wealth Management. Nick, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Chris, doing really good. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you guys. Uh, This is actually my first podcast, so I'm really excited to be here. Well, they get, they get easier as you go. I promise you that. They're, they're, they're a lot of fun, and it's a great way to share some information. And uh, along those lines, we've got the, uh, we're very honored first to have you here. You've always been a wealth of knowledge and a friend of the firm, and we're glad to have you share your, your knowledge and uh, share what you know regarding the SECURE Act, because uh, not everyone knows, but uh, they passed the SECURE Act, which changed the way, uh, changed a lot of things, but changed the way uh, you want to look at IRA distribution. So I was hoping you could kind of give uh, our listeners a 30,000 foot view of of what the SECURE Act actually did. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, this was an interesting piece of legislation because we had been tracking it all through the beginning part of 2019, and it kind of fell off the radar. Uh, There was a lot of chatter about it at the beginning of the year and then didn't really hear anything else about it until December, um, really mid-December, whenever it popped back in as a topic of conversation and got plugged into the omnibus spending bill, kind of buried uh, in the 11th hour, and um, I think got put in the bill December 16th, uh, and President Trump signed it on December 20th, and all of it was rolled into the package of avoiding the government shutdown. Um, the the, the high-level view is that this was really supposed to increase retirement savings uh, for especially the 25% of U.S. adults that don't have any retirement savings or access to a pension. Um, essentially, at the end of the day, what it actually does is is help raise tax dollars. And they also throw a few bones to small businesses in terms of providing incentives for them to create uh, employer-sponsored retirement plans. Uh, there's a list of other things that it does as well, but those are the major, um, the major changes and benefits of, of the new legislation. And, and one of the big ways it does that is it, it has taken the ability to stretch out IRA distributions from someone who in, inherits a retirement plan and really limits the categories of people that can take advantage of that stretch provision. Is that correct? That's right. So probably the single biggest drawback of the legislation is the elimination of the stretch provisions that you mentioned. Um, One of the best estate planning strategies that we used to talk to clients about um, was the ability to leave IRAs for future generations. And they actually had the ability to stretch that over the uh, over their lifetimes. And what that allows is for them to take much smaller amounts every year and thereby pay a smaller income tax uh, or have a smaller income tax bill on that portion over their whole lives. What, what the SECURE Act does is it comes in and it says, um, 
as long as you're, if you're not a spouse and you don't meet certain other qualifications, like having uh, some type of a disability, uh, they actually come in and say, you have to have taken all of the assets out of that IRA within 10 years. Uh, and the interesting thing is that applies to traditional IRAs as well as Roth IRAs. And there's some unique planning considerations that go into the type of IRA that you might be leaving to a future beneficiary. Okay. Now, the uh, some of the other carve outs. If if you were, uh, if you are less than ten years younger than the owner, so maybe you were a sibling that inherited it, you could still be eligible for the stretch. And uh, obviously, spouses. You you uh, listed that and disabled people, and then minors. Minors, if they haven't reached the age of majority yet, basically they're allowed to stretch it out or toll it until they turn eighteen when the ten year clock starts. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. So what do we, as a consumer, if I'm a, I'm a client and I'm looking at this and, and for the last decade or so, uh, I've been planning along the lines of this stretch provision available to my heirs and this will be a, a great way to help our plan uh, moving forward and take care of my kids and now this isn't available to them anymore. What what types of uh, techniques are, and are you recommending to try and make back some of the money that they will lose with what inevitably is simply a tax hit. Yeah, so so many different considerations this raises. I think one of the first things for people to look at is review your IRA beneficiary designations, and then depending on what those say, it could lead to a host of other changes for your broader estate plan. Um, if you're leaving IRA assets to a trust, uh, that's one of the one of the hardest hit areas and one of the key provisions that you really want to pay close attention to because there are so many types of trusts and so many different rules that can impact this. Uh, the the biggest thing to watch out for is you wouldn't want to leave an IRA to a trust that is set up as an accumulation trust where. IRA assets are going to have to be paid out into that trust at the trust tax rate, which is the highest tax rate that exists. Um, and so you want to avoid that at all costs. And there's some planning, there's some ways you can adjust uh, your current plan to avoid that um, if you're in that situation. And then some other people I, I, I hear bandied about that it might be an opportunity to look at converting an IRA uh, to a Roth, a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. Is that another technique? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the easiest things that someone can do, and, and again, it's going to be specific to your situation, you can actually convert part or all of a traditional IRA to a Roth. Uh, and what that allows you to do is you're the one that pays the taxes, preventing um, the future beneficiary from having to do that as they're forced to take out over that 10-year period if it's a Roth. Now, the interesting thing with the Roth is you still have to empty the account within 10 years, uh, but you can get 10 additional years of the tax-deferred growth before you actually have to take the assets out. Um, so depending on a lot of factors, are you taking income from the IRA? What's your tax bracket? Are you still working? Um, do, do you need the money now? That All of those things play into it, but conversions from a traditional to a Roth can make a lot of sense. Another thing if you're if you're if you're working with someone or, or if you're charitably minded and you're looking at a large uh, traditional IRA that's out there, one thing that people may not know they have the option to do is actually use up to a hundred thousand dollars a year uh, of their required minimum distribution and give that directly to charity. 
And what that can do, it actually avoids any income from hitting your return at all. Uh, so it's a great tax play as well as helping clients be able to fulfill uh, charitable inclinations. And so, yeah, for those who are charitably inclined anyways, it, it matters which pot of money uh, from the different accounts that you have that you pull it out. And so you you can make your charitable distribution, but make it in a manner that's probably most tax advisable to you, you know, the, the most tax positive consequence to you by put, making that charitable distribution from your IRA and not from another account. Absolutely. And so, you know, if you are charitably inclined and you're, you're facing these issues, I think, you know, there's the current income tax consideration of using the $100,000 up to the $100,000 a year um, to make charitable gifts using the requirement of distribution. That's one option. The other thing that we always talk to clients about is that IRAs um, are excellent charitable giving vehicles. Um, once you once you passed away, so if if you're in a situation where let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars in a taxable account and a hundred thousand dollars in an IRA, and you know you want to leave fifty percent of your assets to your church or your favorite charity, and you want to leave fifty thousand dollars to your brother, um, one of the best things that you can do from a tax perspective is name the charity as the beneficiary of the IRA and leave the taxable account to uh, to whoever else is a is a living beneficiary. Oh, that's great. That is a, a fantastic tip. And then a, another one that I've heard as far as planning purposes going, uh, looking at just planning to be able to pay for the tax hit is using a life insurance policy and, and using a life insurance and irrevocable life insurance trust to be able to cover the tax ramifications. Can you unpack that a little bit? Absolutely. So, you know, it used to always be that you thought about insurance as a vehicle to help pay true estate tax. And it really goes back to how the SECURE Act is just another form of tax on the individual. Uh, but certainly policies can be acquired um, you know, in enough time to where they're able to fill or recreate the difference, make up the difference between what tax will be owed by a beneficiary in the future uh, and what they're going to have to pay into the government when they're taking those required distributions over the 10-year period. Um, one other thing that makes me think of, and it's, it kind of goes back to avoiding tax for the beneficiary, and if you also happen to be charitably inclined, there is one other option. Um, it's a little bit more complicated because it does involve another trust, so not an insurance trust, but uh, a charitable remainder trust in this situation. And you can actually leave the IRA assets to the charitable remainder trust. All the assets are distributed. And the way those are set up is over the lifetime of the beneficiary or 20 years, 20 years being the max that you can do this, you can recreate a stretch IRA where, you know, one twentieth, if that's the number, is paid out to the beneficiary. And the nice thing is the income is distributed to the beneficiary at their own rate and also it depends on the type of income it is. So if it's just capital gains treatment, that's all the individual has to pay. So it's kind of a neat backdoor way to recreate that stretch process. Um, and then at the end of the 20 years, the balance would just go to whatever the charity is. But the beneficiary has gotten 20 years of income. That's right. And so you've, you've kind of, again, you've accomplished two great things. You've taken care of your beneficiary and you've been able to leave a big chunk to charity uh, at the very end of that as well. It's kind of a win-win for, for everyone in your plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So now they they pass this at the end of the year. It sounds like I don't want to say in the dark of night, but but certainly with the sun setting, I think we'll go with that. And yep. uh, you, I, I have heard that uh, they may actually come back and are looking at tweaking it. And I was hoping you might be able to provide some insight on what you know with that. Yeah, so something we continue to watch very closely. Um, even whenever they were debating passage of the, the original SECURE Act in 2019 and even earlier in the year when we thought there was no chance it was going to happen, various proposals were in the committee process to actually reduce the 10-year period. And the most common number we hear there is five years. So think about instead of having 10 years to stretch that out, now you're limited just to five. Um you know, the tax ramifications of that are huge in terms of if, if you leave someone $500,000 in an IRA, imagine having an extra $100,000 of income you have to pay tax on each and every year that you're taking those distributions, that you're forced to take those distributions. Now, when people, and that would be a huge ramification, I mean, it would, it would be essentially a second tax hike. The uh, Now, when people are taking these distributions on this this new 10-year clock that we have right now, do they have to take them equally throughout or can they take them, can they push them all to that very last year and take it all in one lump sum? Yeah, great question. So, and there's really two strategies here. With the traditional IRA or the IR or the Roth IRA, you can take them equally. You could take half in year two and the rest at the end, uh, kind of any way you want to go about it. It just all has to be taken out by that 10th year. Probably for most people, if you're just in a typical situation where you're left a traditional IRA, you want to take it equally over those 10 years to, to try to lessen the tax burden as much as possible. If you get receiving a Roth IRA, there's really no reason, unless you need the income, to take the, the assets out of the Roth until the 10th year. And the reason for that is you just want to continue to have those assets compounding with the tax-deferred tax growth until the very last moment when you have to take it out. Got it. That's a great tip. So Roth IRA, you want to hold off on taking any distribution to the end, whereas with the traditional, you're much more concerned about what tax bracket it's going to put you in if you take too big a distribution at one time. That is a great tip. Now, here's a great question. They're looking at this. We, we look at the economy and we, we look at the numbers on the, the federal budget and the deficit and the debt. And obviously, the government's always looking. Uh, we've been running deficits now uh, year in and year out for a while. And obviously, you think part of you has to think, well, they're, they're going to try and even shorten this even more like you were discussing because we're going to need more tax revenue. At the same token, we're going through this coronavirus time. Do you think as they're, you know, they've delayed the income filing taxes until July 15th, they've taken a lot of steps to lessen tax burdens. Do you think that that might, that the, what we're experiencing right now with this pandemic might at least push that off reassessing the SECURE Act for at least another year or two, or do you think they would try and do it during a time like this? You know, depending on how things play out and nobody knows, I think if things recover um, more quickly in terms of our response to the virus and coming up with the vaccine, and we kind of shift into the phase of not not what stimulus do we need, but how are we going to pay for the stimulus that we've provided so far? This is an easy thing on the chopping block that I could see them coming back reducing that 10-year withdrawal period, and then also maybe even repealing the other big piece of this legislation, which was 
they pushed back the age at which you had to start taking required minimum distributions from an IRA. So they're, you know, they went from uh, 70 and a half to age 72. So you kind of gave people that extra year and a half period there that the government wasn't receiving tax money. I could see them lowering that right back or even below where it was before to kind of accelerate tax payments that people have to make. Yep. I think that's, I think that's spot on. That is so very insightful, Nick. Well, Nick, I, I can't tell you how much uh, we appreciate having you on the podcast, your very first one. I hope you uh, have had a great experience and are willing to join us again sometime in the future. I love that. I can't thank you guys enough for having me on. We love working with you and the firm. And um, thanks again for the opportunity. It's been great talking with you. That's fantastic. Nick, thank you so much. That's it for today's episode of Aging Starts Now. I'd like to thank Nick again for joining us and for being such a wonderful friend of the firm. We always look forward to our our next event with you. Have an absolutely wonderful day. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Takus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness. 